Good morning. Man, it's so great to be at North Central University. How are you guys doing? Off to a great start to the school year. Well, it's always a joy to come to the campus for our team. We come here every year to talk to you about what you just sang about, which is revival. Man, my heart was so moved because I'm, I'm hearing this crowd of voices sing about how you want revival to come. Anybody want revival? Anybody, anybody come from a community that desperately needs a revival? And let me ask you this. How many of your hearts have been transformed by Jesus? Anybody? Anybody got some friends and family that their heart needs to be transformed by Jesus? Come on. Yeah, some, we all do. We all do. That's what we're here to talk about uh, today and tomorrow as we talk about what it looks like to start new churches in communities for people who are far from God. There's people all over our country that are, that are living in a state of lostness. They don't know Christ. And maybe you've come from a place where you have family and friends who don't go to church. They don't know Jesus. And we're going to talk about what it looks like to start churches that your friends and family will come to. And God can use those churches to transform their life and change families and, and really change entire communities and that God would bring revival. You know, there's some, there's some things that happen when revival happens. Number one is prayer. Prayer is a mark of revival. Another thing that happens is repentance. Another thing that happens when, when God sends revival is evangelism. Telling people about Jesus Christ, being a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's really what church planting is all about. It's about going into a community where people who are far from God and developing um, an outpost of the gospel, developing a new place where people can learn to find and follow Jesus. And that's where you come in. We come here every year to talk to you about what it would look like for God to use you to be a part of starting a new church in some community around America or around the world. And for some of you, you're going into a full-time ministry role. Maybe God would call you to be a church planting pastor. Others of you who are teachers and business people and counselors, God would call you to be a part of a church planting team to bring the light of Jesus Christ to a community who desperately, desperately needs it. Well, today you're going to hear from a person who did just that. My friend Lacey Hartman and her family a few years ago planted Rock Hills Church in Manhattan, Kansas. And through their church, God is saving people, transforming people's lives, and literally changing a community. So would you help me this morning welcome Lacey Hartman, Pastor Lacey Hartman. Thank you. Man, happy Monday. What a way to start a Monday. Come on, somebody. Thank you, Jesus. It is so good to be with you. Man, I sense Jesus in the room. And you know why I can sense Jesus in the room? Because he's in the room. Because he's in you. And what a gift that Jesus has given each of us, that the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And that's what we're going to talk about today, all right? But I want to introduce you to my family. And so up on the screen are my two beautiful ghouls. And um, I know, they are so cute. They get all from their dad. <laughs> and uh, so Jovi, she's our oldest. Um, anybody see the movie Elf? 
Yes. Oh, I, I am amongst family. It, I knew I liked you. Okay. Um, so Jovi, um, there's really no spiritual, you know, attachment <laughs> to her name. That's just the girlfriend's name in that movie. And we liked it. So then the spiritual came later. It does mean jovial. Um, so she is our joy. And then Jade is our youngest. She's eight. And uh, her name means wisdom. Uh, so we got our joy and our wisdom. And then girls, I know what you're thinking. Look at that jawline. Come on, somebody. I can go home to him tomorrow. Uh, that's my husband, Troy. And uh, he is the man. He is my better half. Uh, we've been married 15 years. And, man, 14 of them have been amazing. There's an African proverb that says this. If you think you're too small to make a difference, you haven't spent the night with a mosquito. <laughs> Familiar with mosquitoes up here? We got them all over Kansas. Man, they are so annoying. So we're not going to talk about how to make an annoying difference. We've all experienced that probably. But sociologists tell us that even the most introverted person will impact or influence at least, at minimum, 10,000 people in their lifetime. So when you, some, somebody can do the math, <laughs> when you take a campus like this, and if we just do on the smallest scale of influence, we literally in this room have the power and the influence capacity to impact millions of people. So if you feel like today, I'm not enough, what do I got? I don't know enough, I've not done enough, I don't come from the right area, I don't come from the right family. Man, today Jesus wants to remind you, <laughs> the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is in you. And he is asking you today, you're going to influence people. That's just a matter of fact. You can't get away from it. But Jesus is asking you, how will you leverage the influence I've given you. So we're going to look at 2 Kings. So anybody love the Old Testament? There are some cool stories in the Old Testament. So that's where we're going to go first, all right? 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3. Now, there were four men that were lepers. Now, let's set the scene. You know, in our culture, in America, only about 150 people have the disease of leprosy. It's treated. It's curable. It does not have the stigma that leprosy had in biblical times. But in biblical times, if you had leprosy, you would go blind. Your body would begin to deform because your nerves are going dead. And you would not only be physically in pain, but then you would be ostracized. You would be away from community. Not only would you not be able to worship anymore, you wouldn't be able to hug your family anymore. You wouldn't be able to have those same relationships. In a sense, you would lose all of your purpose. So what could four lepers do with their seemingly insignificant influence? Now there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Ever feel like an outsider? Why should we sit here waiting to die? 
You see, the city, the king of Syria had laid siege to their community. And this whole city, no one could leave or come in. So that meant that the king of Syria, the Armenian army, was literally starving this population to death. That, you know, let's just save the weapons, let's save that, let's just let the people die by starvation, and then we'll conquer that community. It's heartbreaking. In chapter 6, you see in, in 2 Kings, that they had actually, some had reverted to cannibalism. So it's a heartbreaking situation that we find ourselves in. But we read on. <laughs> Why should we sit here waiting to die? They asked each other. We'll starve if we stay here. But with the famine in the city, we'll starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Armenian army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. Anybody that friend? Like, thank you, Captain Obvious. Like, did it? Good, good, good news. So either way, we're going to die. Thanks, Frank, you know. <laughs> I like to name the people in the Bible that don't have names. Frank, Hank, two of my favorites. Verse 5. So at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Armenians. But when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Armenian army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sound of a great army approaching. The king of Israel has hired the Hittites and the Egyptians to attack us. They cried to one another. So they panicked, ran into the night, abandoning their tents, their horses, their donkeys, everything else, as they fled for their lives. So when these four dudes with leprosy arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after another, eating and drinking wine. They carried off silver and gold and clothing, and they hid it. This is what I imagine these lepers to look like. Check, check, check this out. Like, that is what's happening. <laughs> Okay, like this is literally Pirates of the Caribbean. They're like eating like chicken legs and turkey legs. You know, they're, they got anybody like oatmeal pies? And anybody like, I bet there were some oatmeal pies in there, maybe some roasts and potatoes. Like they, they were eating good. They were high on the hog. But then maybe it was Frank. Maybe it was Hank. But as they sit at these tables, and there's these long lines of tents, and there's tables out in front of each tent, and there's chairs out in front, as, as maybe Hank sits there, he begins to put down that turkey leg, <laughs> and he notices there's a lot of empty seats at this table. And then the rest of the lepers begin to realize, what are we doing Literally, we could save our city, but all we're doing is feeding ourselves. Finally, verse 9, they said to each other, this is not right. This is a day of good news, and we aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. Come on, let's go back. Let's tell the people at the palace. So they went back to the city. They told the gatekeepers what had happened. They saved a city. Why did they say it, save it? Because their perspective shifted. It wasn't just about filling themselves. It wasn't just about holy goosebumps in a moment like this. But it was about taking Jesus outside of these doors, into their streets, into their communities to say, hey, I have got some good news to share. And I don't want to eat alone. I don't want to eat alone. 
We've got friends. We've got relatives. We've got associates, almost. We've got neighbors and we've got strangers that are sitting at tables waiting to be fed. And they're waiting on you. And you know what's awesome? You don't have to wait till graduation day. <laughs> don't you love that? Like the same size Holy Spirit lives in you is the same size when you graduate. So don't wait. <laughs> like there are people downtown right here. Talk about a divine space where God has placed y'all. Like you are in the center of a city. Do you think it was on accident that those lepers were outside the city gates so they could go <laughs> and see what was happening? You guys are right here in the center. And Jesus is asking you, how will you leverage the influence I've given you? Wherever God places you, it isn't just for you. So how do we share? I'm kind of a bottom line kind of girl. (laughs) I'm super practical. And so it's going to be real practical next steps today. And I said next steps was the signal to our worship team, but that's not the signal. So sorry about that. (laughs) I I got a couple more minutes. Um, But so I'm super practical on next steps, okay? So the two steps that I believe in the New Testament of how we can apply the sharing of what we see in the Old Testament are two very simple words. Salt and light. Salt and light. Matthew 5.13. Let me tell you. This is Jesus speaking. This is the message paraphrase. Jesus is saying, let me tell you, son. Let me tell you, daughter, why you are here. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of the earth. Then this is probably... These two sentences are some of the hardest to read, I think, in Scripture. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You will lose your your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. We are the salt of the earth. Do you know salt, especially in this biblical time, it was a precious resource. The Roman guards would actually be paid their worth in salt. So the word salary actually comes from that derivative. It's amazing. But you know what's amazing is that everything about salt, that it's indispensable, it prevents uh, corruption, it delays decay, it's a great resource. Who does that describe? Jesus. (laughs) And that is what Jesus is calling us when he says, bring out the salt seasoning and don't lose your, the taste. Don't lose the seasoning that I've given you. He's saying, Hey, I know that there are going to be moments where in culture, it looks as if there is no hope, but that is why I placed you there because salt is healing. It's got a medicinal quality to it. And so I put medicine in business meetings. Man, I'm I'm putting salt in in strategy meetings. I'm putting salt in entrepreneurs. (laughs) And I am developing pastors and ministers and missionaries in the marketplace where there is going to be so many people that hear the good news because you simply have chosen to say, okay, if I'm going to influence somebody, I'm going to do it on purpose with Jesus as the salt of my life. The thing about salt does no good in the shaker. (laughs) I mean, unless you have heart problems and you shouldn't eat salt, then, you know, save it. (laughs) 
Do you know that the church is the salt shaker? But how often, especially in our American church, and I've been guilty of this, have we just stayed inside our four walls? Have we just stayed and we're not sharing, we're not being salt. So no wonder there's so much hurt. It's because there's salt that's staying in the shaker, in those cubicles, and in those meetings where Jesus is saying, hey, would you just rub a little salt in there with some grace and some truth? Jesus goes on to say, Matthew 5, 14. Here's another way to put it. Don't you love Jesus? He doesn't just give us one example. He just keeps giving us. Like, he's the God of more. Don't you love that our God is the God of abundance? <laughs> like, he's like, you know, Romans 16, 25 says that he's got more than enough power to make you strong and to keep you steadfast. So I love that all through scripture, he doesn't just want us to get it with like, okay, one try. Well, didn't get it. Bummer for you. <laughs> No, he says, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept, y'all. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. And if I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I am putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop in Minneapolis, I put you here for such a time as this. I put you on the outside of the city walls so that you can go share the good news, so that you can be salt and you can be light. So what does it look like in this season to share your faith? What does it look like? One of the things we did, so our church, we're going to be six. Like, we're almost in first grade. And <laughs> we're going to be six in two weeks. So for our fifth birthday last year, we passed out these stickers. Now, you can't see them, but I have one for everybody because I like gifts, and I hope you like free stuff. So at the end, <laughs> you can come get one of these stickers. But some of you in the front, you might see it. So on the back of all of our phones in our church, we all have these a salt shaker and a light bulb. <laughs> And everywhere I go, I don't leave my phone up, I put it down. Because it's a conversation starter. Why do you have a salt shaker on your phone? Well, I would love to share that with you. Right? Like, we, we do not need to overcomplicate this. So, take that today, put it on your computer. When you're at a coffee shop here, somebody notices it. Who knows what God may use simply to help you share and to plant a seed. If you live off campus, do you know your neighbors? If you don't know your neighbors, Jesus is challenging you right now. I've placed you in that apartment complex so you can meet your neighbors. And you don't need to get weird. Don't do that. They got enough of that. <laughs> but invite them to dinner. Say, man, I just want to get to know you. Hear their story and see how as you, Jesus does his best work in relationship. So see how you begin to build relationships, how Jesus will use that to bring salt and light and the good news of Jesus. In Death Valley, you guys might be familiar with Death Valley. It's known for its desert-like conditions. I've got a picture of it. It's very dry. It's arid. Uh, animals work hard to survive. It's, it's barren. It's, it's really devoid of, of any color. And so rather than stay alive during this, these crazy um, you know, circumstances, these annual wildflowers lie dormant underneath this barren, dry ground. 
And so every 10 years or so, there's what's called a super bloom, and they get enough rainfall where those annual wildflowers come to life. Check this out. Sir Ken Robinson, scientist, says this. The seeds of change are right below the surface all the time. They are merely waiting for the right conditions to bloom. Some of you today, you feel like you are in a death valley. You feel like you've been in a season where you need streams in the desert. And man, you're in the right place because Jesus is ready. He's ready to pour out and do a super bloom in your heart, in your mind, in your emotions, in your physical body. But we all probably have people that we know it looks like there's no hope. It looks like they're totally against God. They're totally never going to have a conversation. But isn't it interesting how Jesus is the one who brings beauty for ashes? Isn't it interesting how Jesus is the one who says, hey, I know what the world may say, that that's a dry and barren place, but there is no purposeless place that I've called you to. Because there will be change when salt and light begin to permeate these environments and permeate these situations, and then we are going to see revival. You know what revival is? It's what happens in here gets out there, right? So here's the deal. Band, if you would, come join me. I know that some of us today, (laughs) we do feel like we're on the outskirts, or maybe we don't have what it takes. Maybe we struggle with inferiority, or like anybody a three on the Enneagram? You guys do Enneagram? (laughs) Okay, yeah, so I'm, I'm a three. I'm an achiever, all right? So I never feel like I'm good enough. As hard as I try, I never feel like I'm good enough. And I venture to say I may not be the only one, and so I want to actually close with my husband's testimony today. My husband, in uh, December 31st of 1999, so you can tally the age up. He's older than me, by the way. (laughs) I was uh, whatever that's called. He robbed the cradle. But I was of legal age when we met. That's all I got to say. So in 1999, December, he was drinking and driving. He had done, unfortunately, what he had done hundreds of times and drove drunk. By the time he was a junior in college, he was an alcoholic. It was no longer just a binge-type experience. It was a life-controlling addiction. So on this fateful day, after he had just graduated college with a criminal justice degree, headed to be a highway patrolman, he drove drunk, he crashed, and his best friend, Matt Jones, died in his arms. He was booked for involuntary manslaughter. His family bailed him out after, the, you know, the first night. He goes home. He's completely broken. He was not a follower of Jesus, but the only thing that he could do to go to sleep was to say the name of Jesus. A couple days go by, and Mary, Matt's mom, calls Troy. He was expecting anger, bitterness, yelling, what any of us would expect in that situation. But do you know what he experienced? He experienced salt, and he experienced light. Mary said, Troy, through tears, I love you and I forgive you. Would you come to the funeral? 
So he said, of course, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. He goes to the funeral with about 30 of his college buddies. He gets to the funeral, gets out of his car, and literally Mary is making her way through the crowd to get to Troy. And again, grabs him by the hand, and she says, Troy, I love you. I forgive you. She literally treated him as her own son at her son's funeral. It was love beyond reason. It was salt that was healing, salt that was indispensable to his life. It was light. You talk about God colors, forgiveness. You you talk about something that's beyond reason. That's what he experienced. And then after the funeral dinner, she said it again for the third time. It's like this Peter moment. I love you. I forgive you. But then she added, if you give your life to God. He will use it for good. And can I tell you (laughs) that for the last 21 years, we have seen thousands of people come to know Jesus because of a salt and light person who activated the truth and the forgiveness and the grace of God. So if I want you to stand, would you stand with me? If you feel like today, I don't have what it takes or I've done too much, people don't even know what I've done. If they would know, I would have no way to do what God's calling me to do in the business sector, in the education sector, in ministry. Let me remind you that Jesus likes to confound the wise. That Jesus, there is no story that is unredemptable. He's writing a story in you. And I want to pray over you today. So would you lift up your hands? I'm going to pray a prayer blessing over you. And then if you have a moment before you head to lunch and you want to connect or be prayed for, please let us know. And then don't forget to grab your sticker. (laughs) Jesus, thank you that you shared with us. You could have stayed in heaven and not bridged the gap, but you saw the empty seats at the Lamb's table. And you said, it is not okay that one seat be left empty. So you came, you gave your life, you rose from the dead. And Jesus, there are men and women in this room. Let there be healing in this place today. Let there be inspiration in this place today. Let us be salt and light, not just when we graduate, but today and tomorrow and the next. In Jesus' name, amen.